Turn your Bibles to the Mark and Gospel, Mark chapter 8. Keep them open. We're going to jog through Mark a little bit and get back up to chapter 8 for a sermon entitled, Check His ID. So what do you think? Who is Jesus? I'm not the one asking the question today. In our text, Jesus himself is posing the question. Who do people say that I am? Mark 8, 27. And then he asks the most important of all questions, but who do you say that I am? The crowds were coming out to see Jesus. He was a hot topic of conversation, a first century celebrity. And celebrities now and then are the object of rumor and speculation. Evidently, Jesus had gotten some whispering social media type coverage. The apostles told Jesus about the stories that had been going around about him. Rumor had it that he was the reincarnation of some faith hero of the past, some religious leader of days gone by. And there were other ideas. I think the disciples knew them but didn't have the stomach to say them to the rabbi. In fact, earlier in Mark 3, 22, the scribes in Jerusalem say Jesus isn't the Messiah, but rather he is possessed by a demon, possessed by a devil. They don't share those opinions of Jesus with their Lord. In Mark 6, 14, there are other rumors. You remember how Herod had promised the daughter of Herodias anything up to half his kingdom for her dance. Name it, you got it, girl. And she said after consulting with her mom that she wanted the head of John the baptizer on a platter. This really troubled Herod because he was intrigued with the preaching of John the Baptist and somewhat frightened by the man. He didn't want the bad spirit upon him for beheading a prophet of God, but he had promised anything and she asked for the head of the baptizer. And so he has John's head severed and brings it on a platter. And then Herod, when he hears about Jesus in Mark 6, he's worried, oh no, is this John the Baptist reincarnated coming back to get me? In fact, Josephus, someone who lived in the century of Jesus, he's not a Christian, he's a Jew, but he wrote this thinking about what people in the day thought about Jesus. Josephus writes, now there arose about this time a source of other trouble in one Jesus, a wise man who performed surprising works, a teacher of men who gladly welcomed strange things. That was Josephus' idea of Jesus. He's wise. He has strange teachings. He performs powerful miracles. But forget this morning what Herod thinks about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Forget about what Josephus might say or, or think about Jesus. This morning, we are being asked as readers of Mark's gospel, what do you think about Jesus? Now, you'll be asked a lot of questions in your life. If you're the mom of a preschooler, you'll get 300 questions a day. But of all the questions that are out there, the only question that really matters for all eternity is this. Who do you say Jesus really is. It's not the question, do you agree with my teachings? 
is not the question, do you think I manage conflict with the religious authorities well? It's not the question, are you impressed? Are you impressed with the miracles that I've been performing? But rather the question is one of identity. Who do you say that I am? If we say that Jesus is strictly a teacher, then all we need to do is tune up our cognitive equipment and learn his lessons. If we think that Jesus this morning is a political revolutionary, all we have to do is pick up the calls and call for a revolution. If Jesus is a harmless, caring guy, as so many people have concluded that he was, then we need to be careful not to offend others or make anyone uncomfortable with what we say or do. If Jesus is just an economic equalizer, then all we need to do is sell all of our goods and live a simple and life of quiet poverty. But ultimately, Jesus is not a teacher. Jesus is not a politician or an egalitarian economist. Rather, he is the Holy One of Israel. He is the Son of God, God's anointed. So what do you think about this man named Jesus? Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper, through the 500 years have been retouched and refurbished and renovated. It can now be, it's now been restored. It can be seen by the viewing public. And the, it's beautiful, sharper, and the color is brighter than, than ever. But not all are happy with the results. It took 20 years, double decades, to remove 500 years of grime off, off of what is perhaps the world's most famous painting. And now, finally, the facelift is complete. Visitors to the church in Milan can see a much brighter, clearer depiction of what da Vinci intended to paint. It was literally millimeter at a time, 20 years of flaking back the layers of da Vinci's 1497 masterpiece. There have been nine known retouchings of the painting. Now, everyone who retouched the painting thought they were restoring the original. Actually, they were putting another layer on top. And there were other dirt and grime that were there through the years from wars. Napoleon's troops actually used the church for a stable. Then there was an Allied bombing of 1943. There was a kitchen close by that put grease on the painting. Can you imagine that? Hanging the painting near the grease of the kitchen. So somewhere beneath all the dirt and the grime, the grease in the kitchen, the dust from the horses... Nine different layers of touch-up, millimeter by millimeter, the artist flaked off the paint to get back to the masterpiece by the master himself, the real Jesus in da Vinci's mind. See the artist now, $8 million to restore the painting, 20 years. Getting past all the cover-ups and the touch-ups to get to the real Jesus below. We have a tendency in our culture to add layer upon layer upon Jesus, to turn Jesus into whom we want Jesus to be. We reinterpret, we reinterpret his identity in order to further our own cause. Reminded years ago in our, uh, in our own community, there was a PETA billboard that said that Christians should avoid meat because Jesus was a vegetarian. I hate to be crass, and eating fruits and vegetables is a healthy thing to do, 
but there must not have been a theological advisor in their marketing advertising agency. For I remember in John 21, when the disciples come to the shore, that Jesus has frying fish on, on the charcoal fire, does he not? In fact, he helps them catch 153 fish till the nets are bulging. We all want to remold the master into the image that we ourselves want. We all want to call Jesus to be part of our team and part of our cause. So instead of discovering who Jesus is, we remake Jesus in our own image. This morning, by Mark's gospel, we peel back the paint layer by layer, avoiding the cultural conditions and the many, many mis misinterpretations to find the authentic Jesus below the layers. Flaking off the phonies, peeling back the paint in order to get back to the facts. Who was Jesus? Not even family values were faced from Jesus' re reinterpretation. He changed economics from an economics of generosity, from an economics of acquisition. In fact, he tells a rich young ruler, go and sell and give to the poor. That changes. He changes all that we think and all that we know about reality. He changes political practice and leadership. He says, if you really want to be first, you need to be last. And then he ties the towel around his waist and he pours the water in the basin. And he, the rabbi, washes the feet of his disciples. And family values, also not safe. Jesus redescribed family, not based on bloodlines or genes, but rather on a common interest in kingdom causes. He says in Mark's gospel, who are my mother and my brothers? Behold, he said, looking at those who were sitting at his feet while he was teaching. Behold, these are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, he is my sister, she is my mother. This radical rabbi turned all the world of the first century upside down. And there was no place that he turned it more upside down, literally, than he did with religious identification. In fact, you remember the temple, he actually flipped the tables over. He read the prophets in a way that no one had ever read them before. He was so radical in his religious beliefs that, that the spiritual leaders of Israel began to have homicidal thoughts about killing him. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus sits down, begins to teach in the city of Nazareth. In fact, he reads from the prophet Isaiah and he says, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's claiming to be the Messiah. They know he's claiming to be the Messiah, so they rise up against him. They take him to a cliff. There's the cliff near Nazareth. This is a picture from 2022 when I was there. To put him over the cliff, you see how far down it is. But miraculously, he walked through their midst. Well, look at our passage today in, in Mark chapter 8. Jesus went out along with the disciples to the villages. I want you to notice Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, don't tell anyone. And then he reinterpreted what it meant 
to be the Messiah, to be one who would suffer. In, in Matthew's version, in Matthew 16, Jesus says this, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that's Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is who is in heaven. And I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overpower it. If you go to Caesarea Philippi, I want to show you this. Now, don't think we're nowhere near the Gaza Strip. We're going way north, 25 miles above the Sea of Galilee. And this is Caesarea Philippi. This cave might have even been in the background when Jesus said that. There was a pagan temple in this area. And there was all kinds of pagan worship and terrible sexual sin committed here. And on the hillsides, there were, you can see how big they had that for the idols that they worshiped. The whole hillside is carved out for various idols to be placed. And they would take animals and sacrifice them, throw them down into that cave. They thought it to be a bottomless pit. It just went on forever. It fed the, the Jordan River. It's the headwaters, the head spring of the Jordan River. They even threw babies down in here to satisfy the gods. And even when you're there, you feel a sense of dark oppression. And with this at his background, Jesus says to Peter, you're right, I'm the Christ. And the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against my kingdom. Jesus tells them, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the religious authorities. And Peter takes him aside and says, now, you are the Christ. I know that. Peter's thinking the Christ is a revolutionary, a military hero, someone that will overthrow the occupational government of Rome. And Jesus says, no, I'm actually the one that's going to suffer. I will suffer the hands of evil men. And then three days later, he predicts, I will rise again. The rumors were out there. He's a reincarnation of Elijah. He's a leader from the days gone by. But of all the people who have ever tread upon planet Earth, the only question that really matters for you and the only question that really matters for me is who do you think Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Turn back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The gospel begins, some, all good authors do this. They give you a hint to the clue, and then he doesn't mention it again, and so you kind of get confused. In Mark 1, 1, he tells you the answer at the very beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, who is the what? Christ. There it is. There's the hint, the first sentence, you were told what Peter's going to discover at the gates of hell, at Caesarea Philippi. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is he? The Son of God. Then look over at chapter 1, verse 27. Jesus is casting out demons. He's performing miracles. And they were all amazed. Notice, and they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. As you read this gospel, as you go through it, the people are astonished at Jesus, and the question of the text of the answer is given in the first sentence is, who is this guy? No one else is able to command the demons to come out. No one else can heal the sick like he's doing. Who is this Jesus? Back to as you go to Capernaum, 
Jesus had power over unclean spirits there too. What is this? A new teaching? And then in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, as you approach the gospel, he's building up to the big question in Mark chapter 8. Look at, look at verse 5 of, of chapter 2. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Back in Capernaum, probably Peter's house, Jesus is so popular now, they can't even get into the house to hear him. There's a man who's a paralytic, and he wants to be healed. His friends, the faith of four friends, they take him up on the rooftop. Jesus is teaching, and he's announcing, with me, the kingdom of God has arrived. All that the prophets have spoken of is being fulfilled like he did in Nazareth. He's doing it in Capernaum. It is all fulfilled in me. And as he's teaching the the roof begins to, to burst forth with sunlight and dust and debris follow. But Jesus knows what's happening. He pauses for a moment, and the man is lowered below by the four ropes on the pallet. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Now, the crowd is right. Only God can forgive sins. They're right. I can't forgive your sins. Only only God can say your pardon. And so when Jesus says to the paralytic, he doesn't say you're healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's a claim to be God. Only God can forgive sins. And they say, how can he talk this way? He's a blasphemer. How can he claim to forgive sins? For only God himself can forgive sins. He is claiming to be the Messiah of God. Look over at chapter 6 and verse 2. The, the question begins to build. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Jesus is back in Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, his, his hometown. He appears to come back as a rabbi accompanied by his disciples. And they begin to, isn't, isn't that Mary's son? Why, wasn't he the lad that came and fixed my cupboard? Why, yeah, his brothers, Jude and Simon, they built my house. Someone else chimed in. Don't we know his family? How on earth can he claim to be the Messiah, his sisters, I know his sisters, they live in our village. Who is he to teach, and how, how can he perform the carpenter's son? How can he perform the miracles? The tension builds in the text. Who is Jesus? He's cast out demons. He's fed 5,000 by now. He's healed the multitudes. He's declared that with his arrival is the arrival of the kingdom of God. He has even commanded the turbulent sea to be still and quiet. But it's yet to be clearly seen by his disciples. 
that he himself is none other than the promised Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Son of God. And so when we come now to Mark 8, 27, the people are pondering. The scribes are skeptical. And even the disciples have their doubts. But finally, by Mark 8, it can be hidden no more. And Jesus asks the question, what are people saying about me? Well, you know, the prophet said Elijah has to return before the Messiah, so they think that maybe you're Elijah. Well, you know, Herod started the rumor that you're a reincarnation of John, whom he beheaded. You know, some, some think you're Jeremiah. That'd be another prophet. Some think you're Jeremiah. That's what people are saying about you. Knowing in their mind, others are saying he's full of demons. But then he turns to the disciples and says, Who do you yourself say that I am? The question this morning from the reading of the text is not who does Herod say Jesus is. He says he's a reincarnation of John the Baptist. The idea is not who does the crowd say that Jesus is. They think he might be a Elijah come back before the Messiah. The question doesn't matter what Herod thinks or the scribes or the Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees think he has a demon. The only question that comes, Jesus turns the question away from the crowd and to you. Who do you, yourself, say that I am? Of all the people who've ever trod on planet Earth, eternity separates by this question. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What your mama or your daddy thinks won't get you into heaven. What your grandfather believed doesn't make any difference this morning. The question comes to you from Jesus. Who do you yourself say that I am? You're the Holy One of Israel. You're the Christ. You're crucified. We showed it in baptism. You were crucified. You were buried. And you arose. You are the Holy One of Israel. You are the Son of God. You are God himself. You are co-creator. We have the ability to forgive our sins because you died for our sins. And you have the ability to give us eternal life because you arose from the grave. Maybe you're watching by television this morning. Maybe you're live streaming. Maybe you're here in this great sanctuary. But the question is the same. And the question has been the same for 2,000 years. Who do you think Jesus is? Your toddler's going to ask you a hundred questions today, but I'm asking you the only one that really matters. What do you think about the carpenter's son, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, taught in Capernaum, crucified in Jerusalem, ascended to heaven? So what do you think? There's only one right answer. Oh, Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. You are King. You are Lord. You are sovereign. You're seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who say you're the Messiah. So Jesus turns and Jesus asks, 
Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Oh God, many have tagged you as a lot of things, a teacher, a politician, a revolutionary, a miracle worker, an exorcist. But the right answer is you are the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel. You are the Lord, the curios of the cosmos. If you're here this morning and you'd like to get the answer right today, now is your time. And this sermon is Jesus asking you. I didn't ask the question. Jesus did. Right now in your heart say, oh God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Right now, the hearing of this sermon, I proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of my life. I give my life to him, the one who died and the one who rose again. 